I'm turning this morning to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter number 5, and we will be looking this morning at verses 8 through 14, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14, and our subject for this morning is Christ shall give thee light. Christ shall give thee light. Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 14. The Apostle Paul penned these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Our subject is found there in verse number 14, the very last expression of our text this morning, and Christ shall give thee light. This phrase or this expression does not mean that when we have risen from death to life, that his light begins to shine upon us as if our performance or our works somehow came before his grace. All this text is intended to show us is that when Christ enlightens us, we in fact do rise from death unto life. Paul's statement here of Christ shall give thee life is given to us to confirm the former statement that is in verse 13. That whatsoever doth make manifest is light. In other words, unless an unbeliever is recovered from their blindness, they cannot be saved. So a unbeliever must have their blindness removed. So what Paul means by this is Paul is really giving us this wonderful reminder of what the gospel does. Not only what the gospel does, but the power it possesses. Now we're amazed that the gospel can translate us from hell to heaven. We're amazed at the power to remove us from darkness and translate us into light. But think about for a moment the power the gospel possesses to not only do those things, but actually change our life now, the way in which we live. We're all amazed at the reality of having our sins paid for, our sins removed, being able to know heaven is now our home. And that is a marvelous work and a glorious truth about God that we'll never fully comprehend But realize the gospel not only saves you eternally, but it's also meant to change the way you walk. The light of Christ is meant to give us a new walk. This passage that Paul pens is a summary of what the gospel does and what the gospel changes. It shows us that the gospel brings light. And because we have been brought the light of Jesus Christ, we are to shine as lights of the gospel. We are to be gospel lights. We are to shine forth the truth of what's happened to us. Being removed from darkness into His glorious light. 
Now we know that throughout Scripture that unbelievers are often referred to as being asleep or being uh, deaf to the things of the gospel, dead to the truth. And unless they repent of their sins and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are in serious danger. They are in what we would call grave danger. They are in eternal danger. And for that, we are always concerned. We're always concerned about the gospel getting to people who need to hear it. But the gospel is the very thing which convicts people. The gospel is what convicts people of their need of, their need of a Savior because of their sin. Now, we might, in our day-to-day conversations, we might have a conversation with someone about their sin. But understand something. It is the gospel that convicts. It's the gospel that convicts the sinner. I may eloquently be able to describe someone's sin to them. I may be able to give them five reasons as to why their sin is sin. I may be able to tell them all the things, but remember, it's the gospel that convicts the sinner, and it's the light of the gospel shining in the darkness that brings that person to an understanding of their own sin and their own need. When we give the gospel, that's what we're supposed to do, is we're supposed to give the gospel, not our opinion or not what we think they need to hear or shape it necessarily to their own sin, but rather we are to call them to believe the gospel, repent of sin and believe the gospel. When a person is enlightened or the light of Christ shines, not only is conviction there, but a conversion takes place. So the gospel is not just making it possible. The gospel not only convicts, it actually converts. So our converting power through the Spirit is the gospel itself. A person never knows they need Christ until the gospel opens their eyes to it, makes light in the dark. So what is the end result? The end result is, is that those who've been saved out of darkness into this glorious light are to walk as people who now are walking in the light and no longer walking in darkness. The gospel was not meant just to be a freedom card to be able to get to heaven. It was meant to actually change our walk. And what Paul is saying here is that this is not optional. It will actually change your walk. You will not be able to walk the same if the gospel has truly converted you. There's going to have to be a change. It can't remain the same. Often people are a little bit hesitant to this because they they begin to think, how can the gospel have that much power to actually change what I want to do, where I want to go, and how I want to walk? That's the additional glorious power of the gospel. It does change all those things. You don't have to convince a person who's truly been converted about the works of darkness. They're fully aware of the works of darkness. They know that that is contrary to the light of Jesus Christ. They know it. Now, they may choose to walk in that darkness for a bit. They may choose to walk in that darkness because the flesh likes it. But if they're truly in the light of Christ, they know that that's a work of darkness. So what's Paul saying here? We have been, those who have been saved are to be a light in a very dark world. The power of the gospel is to shine through us. Paul reminds us that this is not just a suggestion, this is a responsibility. If we're going to walk in this world, and we are, we are to walk as children of light and we're to represent the truth of the gospel. 
Now, Paul starts by reminding them, often what he does in his letters, by reminding them of what they once were. One of the grandest ways to remind yourself of who you are in Christ is to remember what you used to be. Now, for many of us, let me rephrase that, for all of us, that's a very ugly picture. Okay, none of you, including myself, were pretty unbelievers. None of you were polished unbelievers. Some say, well, I was just a child. You still were not a polished unbeliever. Some say I was later, I got saved later on in life. There was nothing pretty about us. We were in complete darkness, completely aware of the light of Jesus Christ. Paul in verse number eight reminds them of that. He says, for ye were, past tense, sometimes darkness, but now present tense, but now are ye light in the world. Paul doesn't just say you you represent light or you look like light. You have characteristics of light. He says you are actually light. You are light in the world. And as a result, walk as children of light. Now, when you were in the dark and I was in the dark, we did not truly understand the evil of sin. Matter of fact, we, might have told, we may have said to ourselves, I don't see what the big deal is. What's wrong with me just enjoying the lust of the flesh a little bit? What's wrong with me enjoying the filth of the world? We didn't see it because the light had not been shined upon it to manifest the evilness of it. We automatically make an assumption that people who are unbelieving and walking in darkness truly understand the evil of sin. They don't. No man understands the evil of sin until the light of Jesus Christ shines upon that darkness. Why do I say that? I think we've got to be careful about how we approach people. We just assume that they see the evil that we see. But without Christ's light shining in your darkness, you would not have seen it either. Paul wants them to remember what you once were. Remember that You didn't want to know what the will of God was. You didn't even have a clue as to what true righteousness was. You gave gave yourself over to the lust of the flesh. You didn't care about God's glory. There's not a single unbeliever on this planet that gives one concern about the glory of God. They're just not concerned about it. They don't care if they glorify God with their lives. They don't care if their families are raised for God. They have no concern for the glory of God because they have no true knowledge of God. They're in darkness. It's kind of like walking in a dark place and thinking you know you know the path. You think you know where that leads, but when you're in darkness, you really don't see all the dangers that are on all sides. But Paul says you've been enlightened now. He says, you are now light. Notice what he says, you are light in the Lord. And as a result, walk as children of light. So we are to walk opposite of those who walk in darkness. To walk as children of light means we walk not in sin and not in the works of darkness, but we walk in faith, we walk in truth, and we walk in that which resembles true holiness. What is truly a work of light, not a work of of the dark. Notice Paul makes mention of the fruit of the Spirit. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Now this teaches us something that if you are walking, truly walking in the light, if Christ has surely given you light, there will be fruits of the Spirit. 
This has been one of those debates amongst church-going folk for years. What constitutes fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is a life that is produced by the presence of the Spirit. That's the simplest way to put this. We're always trying to put these things on it. Now, Paul does give us a list in Galatians. We'll turn there in just a moment. But the fruit of the Spirit is going to produce a life that is based upon the presence of the Spirit. That means the fruit of the Spirit is not going to be something that's contrary to the Holy Spirit. In other words, He's not going to have you do something evil and then call it godly. Thereby following you're not. He's not going to say, oh, do this wicked thing and then do it for the glory of God. No, the fruit of the Spirit are going to have definite markers. Notice what Paul uses the word in all goodness and righteousness and truth. That means every fruit of the Spirit is goodness, it's righteous, and it's truth. Okay, so if you're talking about a fruit of the Spirit, someone who's walking in the light, they are going to produce these things. What are some words that are opposite of goodness? Well, we can think about works of darkness. Greed, lust, cruelty, simple unkindness. What are some words that are opposite of righteousness? Anything that's in opposition to the righteousness of Christ. That may be carnal living. That may be evil and worldliness. It may be, it may be anything that runs contrary to what God's Word has said. And what's truth? Well, we know truth is God's word. Truth is, truth is not relative. Truth is what God says is truth. And the opposite of truth is hypocrisy. It's, it's lying. It's deceit. So it should not be marked in a person who is in Christ. They should not be greedy. They shouldn't be lustful. They shouldn't be cruel. They shouldn't be carnal. They shouldn't be worldly. They shouldn't be evil. They shouldn't be hypocrites. They shouldn't be liars. And they shouldn't be deceivers. These things should not be present in the life of a believer who Christ has given his light to. Wherever the Spirit of God dwells, right? Wherever the Spirit of God dwells, there is going to be some degree of an appearance of this fruit. Now, again, notice the emphasis on some degree. We are, we are spiritual counters. And I don't know where we get this from, but we like to count people's spiritual fruit. We like to be able to put our finger on it and say, I know how much you're producing. I know what's good and what's bad. Listen, if the presence of the Spirit is there, you are going to produce some degree of spiritual fruit. It may not all appear at the same time. It may not be there all the time. You guys remember, you're still battling the old nature. You're still battling the old man. And you're sometimes still going to allow your flesh to rule. But what Paul says in Galatians 5.22, he said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such thing there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. So if somebody asks you, what are these fruits of the Spirit I hear about? Tell them to turn to Galatians 5, verses 22 through 26. That's a definition of the fruits of the Spirit. That's what's supposed to be present in a person who's walking in the light. Okay, it's not a legalistic teaching. That's simply what God's Word said. 
This, this is what should be there. You know, we're, we can simply and intentionally identify a work of darkness. Why are we so hesitant to identify a work of light? That's what he says the work of light is. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Then Paul goes on and he uses this word acceptable. Proving what is acceptable. Back in our text, Ephesians 5. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Now, when we think about the the entirety of the person of Christ and who Christ is, there are many, many things that are acceptable. But they're all based upon the acceptability of Christ. In other words, if I'm trying to offer something that is not based on His righteousness, that's not based upon His sacrifice, that's not based upon Him as the mediator... Don't assume that it's acceptable to God. I'm only acceptable to God because of His righteousness, because of His sacrifice, because of His mediation. I heard this morning early as I was listening to a message, like as I often do on Sunday mornings, and the preacher himself said, you know, God cannot forgive sin without punishing it. And what he means by that is we often make this mistake to say God just forgave sin, and there was no conditions. The reality is the condition was is that sin had to be punished, and that sin was punished in Jesus Christ. We can't just say about God, God just forgave our sin. No, he forgave our sin because sin was punished, and our sin was punished in Jesus Christ, and he absorbed the full wrath of the Father. So to be acceptable to the Lord means it has to be acceptable in Christ. But those who are God's people, those who are in Christ, are going to live and have a life that is becoming of the gospel or demonstrates the gospel. The book of Hebrews, I think, gives us the best picture of this. Hebrews 13, verses 15 through 21. There's some other passages we could go to, but but here is is this, this beauty that he writes about the being acceptable to the Lord. Hebrews 13, verses 15 through 21. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they must, they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. Pray for us for we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. But I beseech you the rather to do this that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, here's the key, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice that which is acceptable to the Lord is only acceptable through Jesus Christ. No matter how grand I think what I bring before the Lord should be acceptable, 
To be acceptable for the Lord must be accepted only in the person of Christ and the light of Jesus Christ. So what's Paul tie these things together? He gives us now, here's what you were, here's what you are. You were once walking in dark, but now you're in the light, so walk as children. He told us that we should, we will have the demonstration of the fruit of the Spirit and in all goodness and righteousness and truth. We are going to prove that we are in Christ by producing that which is acceptable to the Lord. And now he really gives us the practical matter of walking in the light and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. The words are precise and they're important. Notice the emphasis on the word no and the emphasis on the words unfruitful. No fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. This tells us a lot about what we need to know. No work of darkness is light. And we should have no fellowship with that which is dark. Now somebody might say, how in the world do we know what's dark? The presence of the Spirit will clearly instruct you as to that's a work of darkness. Those that are in the light have had the darkness exposed. They know that this is a work of darkness. They know that this is not something I should be involved in. And again, we are often so quick to proclaim somebody as being in Christ, but yet there's not a change in their life. That's why I say be very careful about determining somebody else's spiritual state because you cannot see the heart. And I know we often say, but, but they, they look like it on the outside. We can't see the heart. And there have been many who have proclaimed, I'm in Christ, and yet they find themselves still walking and having fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Paul uses a rather strong tone here. He says, but rather reprove them. To reprove is not just by what you say, it's by your action. How do I reprove a work of darkness? I walk away from it. I, I am going to reprove it by maybe saying this is, I am to have no fellowship with this. But folks, you know how many people actually reprove it with their mouth, but they never walk away from it. You know how many people actually condemn the sin in someone else, but then they walk in that same sin themselves. How many people have said, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. And that's, that's not very becoming of a believer. And yet they do the same thing. To reprove is not just to speak it. To reprove is also to demonstrate it. That's why Paul's using the words walk. Walk as children of light. Walk encompasses our entire conduct, not just our, the words that we say. But there's also the meaning here of Paul is teaching us that a believer is not going to find lasting, long enjoyment, fellowshipping with works of darkness. You know what will happen to a person who's truly a child of the light who tries to walk in darkness? Eventually, it's going to leave them unsatisfied. Because there, it's impossible for a child who's walking in the light of Jesus Christ to find eternal and, in, and even, I think, even temporary, longer lasting satisfaction in the work of darkness. They're never going to be happy there. They're never going to be able to find what they're looking for. Yet that's the number one reason why people turn and leave the faith is they say, listen, there's just something better out there. If they're truly in the light, they don't find anything better. They only find themselves more empty and they find out how dark the works of darkness really are. 
Paul wrote a bit about this in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 18, if you'd like to turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Now, this is the passage that is known as the be not unequally yoked. And this has been misused and abused over many, many years. And specifically what Paul is talking about here is communion between light and dark. Okay? He's not talking about a lot of the foolish things that some of our modern, <laughs> modern teachers have tried to make this into. This is about being unequally yoked together with light and dark. Here's what he says, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? I'm not correcting the scripture, but he could be simply in also be saying, what fellowship has light with dark? That's what he's saying. And what communion hath light with darkness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Notice Paul very clearly demonstrates that there is a clear line that is drawn between darkness and light, righteousness and unrighteousness. Paul is not making any bones about this. He is clearly identifying that if you are in the light, you are not going to have an agreement. You're not going to have fellowship. It's not going to be what you think it needs, or it's not going to be what you're supposed to be doing. Now, we know we're going to work with unbelievers. We know that we're going to have unbelievers as neighbors. We're also going to have conversations with unbelievers. This doesn't mean that we're to run at the sight of every person who's not saved. This is not this mentality that says, unclean, unclean, I can't talk to you. And sadly, this is happening. Where we're becoming so arrogant about our walk with God, we point to an unbeliever and we say, you're unclean. I can't have anything to do with you. No, talk to them about the things of God. You're going to have conversations. Paul was not saying, you don't have conversations with people. But he said, you're not going to, you're not going to have and seek out the same things. It's impossible for a true believer to truly enjoy and seek out the company of people that do not know God. You're, you're not going to run after unbelievers if you're in Christ. You're not going to say, I want all of that. I want, I want to go back to the works of darkness. I want, to, I, want to, I want to take in as much sin as I can possibly take in. Listen, that's not the way a true believer is going to act. We reprove them, not just with our words, but with a godly life. Listen, there have, been, there have been many people who found themselves in the works of darkness who know better. They, know, they, they have experienced the light of Christ. And again, we talked about that in the Bible study this point. Our pride will deceive us. Our arrogance will deceive us. We'll think God's keeping something from us. We'll think that God is doing something to, 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 to hurt us. And we'll say, you know what? I'm just going to do my own thing. Listen, you're not going to find satisfaction there very long. As a matter of fact, in the book of Hebrews again, light is going to drive away darkness. Hebrews 11, verse 7. 
just a simple verse here. And, and again, this is in the passage. It, it's, it doesn't seem like maybe it goes, but it talks about, this is the by faith chapter. In Hebrews eleven seven. it's reference to Noah. It says, by faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteous, which is by faith. The, the building of that ark to the saving of his house announced condemnation to the world. Because that was evidence of the light. Taking this just one step further, Paul again, no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. Reprove them. Sins are the works of darkness. Works of darkness, remember this, love to be concealed. One of the big aspects of sin is its concealment. One of, the, one of the, the characteristics of sin is the idea that we think it's being hidden, that we think nobody knows about it. But what we don't remember is that God has full knowledge of that. God has full knowledge, again, like we learned at 10 o'clock this morning, God has full knowledge of wherever we are, what our heart desires are. There is no true light, there is no true joy in works of darkness. Sin is pleasurable for a season. Don't look at an unbeliever and tell them that there's no pleasure in sin because you're not telling the truth. There absolutely is. But at the end of that is also judgment and destruction and heartache and consequences that we don't even know how far they go. The reality is that's the draw of sin. The works of darkness, folks, will always have an attraction. They'll have an attraction to you. They'll have an attraction to me. There will be things that we will see and we'll rationalize in our mind and we'll say, listen, that's not as bad as this. That's not as bad as this. I'm just going to kind of tiptoe into this work of darkness, but it's not as bad as the other. Listen, we're all tempted to that. But yet Paul is teaching us here that there is no joy found there. A work of darkness just tends to lead to a further state of darkness. One sin leads to a darker sin. It, 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 it's just like an, it's an abyss. It continues to roll. It continues to go forward. And it doesn't ever find a bottom. That's why we sit back in amazement and we think, how did so-and-so get to that place? Because they allowed one sin of darkness, one work of darkness, to, to build on another and build on another and build on another. But you know what the glorious truth is? That a person who's walking in darkness today, we can call out to them and we can say, repent of that. Come back to Christ. Come back to the Lord. Run back to Him. If, you're, if you are in the light and you've just found yourself walking in the dark, run back to Christ now. Run as fast as you can. If you're in the dark because you're an unbeliever, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. Be saved. And come running as fast as you can. He will cast out none. God's, God's restoring power to the wandering believer is amazing because he's not going to cast you out and say, no, you got too far in the works of darkness. He says, no, come back to me. Repent now and come back. And that unbelieving soul whose eyes now are being opened to the truth and they're just now beginning to understand what sin really is. He says, come. Come unto me. 
I tell you, I love preaching a gospel that simply says the person that's wandered away from the Lord, he's still saying, come back. And the one who's not yet there, he's crying out, say, come unto me. And I will no wise cast you out. It's an amazing truth that Paul, when he tells us these things, is reminding believers not only about the things that they once were, but things that could happen again. Back in our text, he says in verse 12, For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. You know what it's going to take to bring the believer who's walking in darkness back is a reminder of the light. It's going to do more than what I could ever do. My words can sometimes be empty, but His words and the light of Jesus Christ never returns void. The problem is, I don't always know the when and the how and the why. I don't know when the Lord's going to work on that person I'm burdened for. I don't know when that, un- that unbeliever that I see every day or I talk to occasionally, I don't know, but I can trust that He will not leave any behind that are called His own. Again, we get labeled as that's some kind of a hateful doctrine. That's the greatest hope I can give you. Because I can't tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. I can't guarantee that anybody is going to receive Christ, that they're going to repent and believe on Christ. But I do know this, he's not going to leave any of his behind, no matter how far in the works of darkness they are right now. He's not going to leave them. The problem is, it forces me to have to trust him in all things. I have to trust Him in my own salvation. I have to trust Him in the salvation of my loved ones, my family, my friends, my co-workers. I have to trust Him. What am I called to do? Walk as a child of light. That's going to mean I'm going to separate myself from the things that are contrary. He says, For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. That means everything that is revealed is revealed because of the light. It's not revealed because I was eloquent. The sinner is not made aware of his sin because the preacher was, had the gift of oratory. It's not about the speaker. It's about the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and the Spirit opening the eyes and unstopping the ears. I take comfort in that, knowing that every Sunday and every Wednesday, wherever we gather, I stand before you and I don't have to rely on anything but God's Word. And I know it's not me that's going to convince and change and convict. It's not me that led somebody to the Lord. I'm just simply supposed to walk and talk as a child of light and let the Holy Spirit of God do what it's supposed to do. Sometimes I get the idea that God needs my help a little bit. He needed me to sharpen it a little bit. He needs me to sharpen the sword a little bit. No. We've tried that, folks. Churches have tried that for years to make the gospel a little little less edgy, to make it a little bit more palatable. Let's soften down the message. And in, in turn, what we've done is we've softened down the reality of sin and the works of darkness. And hence, we have a false professor after false professor who just wanted to go to heaven because they didn't want to go to hell, but it didn't change their life at all. And yet, Paul says there's a real change of the gospel, not only eternally, but even now. Temporally, we are going to be different. 
What does the light reveal? It reveals pride. It reveals lust, envy, hate, idolatry. These things are shameful to speak of, Paul talks about, but the light reveals and discovers things even in the darkness. Eventually, I don't know the day, I don't know the hour, but the sins, all the sins of every evil man, every evil woman, whatever, will one day be discovered. And it's going to be revealed by the true witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's going to reveal. All of our righteousness, all of anything that we do in word or in deed, which is a revealer of sin, is considered spiritual light. Right now, believers, we're kind of the hated people. Don't be shocked shocked by this. Jesus himself said, they hate me because I reveal their sin. And they love their sin. It's pretty alarming if you pay attention over the last year and a half. The churches all across this country, for the most part, have lost. People have left the faith and they're not coming back. Now, I would submit to you, did they leave the faith? Were they ever in it? But I would also suggest to you what was going on around our churches. Was it just some kind of a carnival show or were, were, were people really not converted? But they're not coming back. And they have all different reasons why. The gospel reveals what's really there. People don't run away from it because they don't like the speaker. They run away from it because they don't like what the light is what the light's revealing. That's what they're running from. Now we blame it on the speaker. I don't like his personality. I don't like the way he presents the word. That's fine. What you don't really like, though, is that the fact that the Spirit of God is revealing your sin. That's what we don't like. Paul ends this section by saying, Wherefore he saith, Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Primarily, remember, Ephesians is primarily written to the believer. And even this context here that Paul's writing about, Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead. This is written for the children of God. Sometimes even the child of God needs to be revived, needs to be awakened. It's possible for you to spend week after week, year after year, sitting in a church like ours, whether it's big or it's small, and really be indifferent. You don't really care. We don't, we're not really concerned about the works of darkness. We're not really concerned about what kind of a life we're living. Church is just something that we do because we've done it for so many years. Sometimes we all need to be reminded and reawakened to the reality of what we once were, where we are now. And every once in a while, the Lord brings somebody into our midst who maybe doesn't know Christ. And they hear the gospel, and they gloriously repent of their sins, they believe on Christ alone. But you know what that ought to do? That ought to awaken us too. You know, we, 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 we glory when someone receives receives Christ when they understand what their salvation is. But I think we also, as believers, we ought to use it as a reminder to us. Do I remember what I once was? Because I can tell you the last testimony I had of somebody who told me about what Christ did when he saved him, it was remarkable, the words. I didn't say anything. I just listened. And they explained to me how all of a sudden what they couldn't see before, now they could see. They saw their sin for what it was. And they sat here, and they sat here, and they didn't see it, but now they see it. It wasn't what I said. It's what the Holy Spirit of God did. But sometimes 
We hear a gospel and we think, well, that's for the unbeliever. Or we think, I wish my family member was here. I wish my friend was here. They really needed to hear this today about being saved. Maybe they do, but maybe you and I need to hear it about being reminded of our own walk. Our own walk. Maybe we're not walking quite as we should. Paul, of course, dealing with unbelievers and believers alike, he warned these Ephesians, don't become partakers of the works of darkness. Your life ought to so widely be different from the conduct of people who are walking in dark. He also says, guard against being ungrateful. Don't find yourself being ungrateful for the reality that you were once in the dark and now you're in the glorious light because Christ has given you that light. I love the phrasing he uses, that you are now, this is what you once were, these are the things that you ought to do. Remember, darkness, darkness is a reference to the entire nature of man before he's regenerated. The unregenerate man doesn't see the brightness of God. I hope we remember that. What we see as children of, of God and the children of light a person who's truly an unbeliever doesn't see what you're seeing. Not even a glimpse of it. It ought to help us be more patient in our evangelism. It ought to help us be more patient with people and say, listen, maybe they don't see what I'm talking about. I'm witnessing a lot of frustrated evangelism. People are just screaming at unbelievers like that's going to help. You're not helping them. You're not helping them by just screaming. They don't see it. God's not saying, I need you to scream and rant and rave for the gospel to work. I just simply need you to, be, to walk in love, walk in the light. He's the one that's going to do the converting anyway. But we're told we're commanded to walk this way. He doesn't even tell us to command to walk this way so that we convert people. He's saying you walk this way because this is what you are. Light, in contrast to darkness, is the name that are given to those who've been enlightened by the Spirit of God. He calls them children of light. They ought to walk in the light because by the mercy of God, they have been rescued from darkness. We are called and said to be light in the Lord because when you are outside of Christ, you are under the dominion of Satan. There's no, there's no two words about it. To be outside of Christ is to be in, under the dominion of Satan. Satan himself is referred to as the prince of darkness. It's something we don't, we don't talk a lot about, but remember, there, there is a very real Satan. There is a very real battle for the soul taking place. When you give the gospel to somebody, there's a battle for the soul. Christ has given us his light. Paul says, because you've been given his light, you ought to walk that way. I hope this will encourage us today as believers, but I also hope it will encourage those who have yet to repent of their sins and believe on Christ. As I would say every single week, if you've never been converted, run to Christ now. Run quickly. Come unto Him. Ask Him to save you. If you're away from the Lord, now's the day. Now's the day to say, listen, I've been walking where I'm not supposed to walk. I'm where I'm not supposed to be. But I've been reminded of the goodness of Jesus Christ. I've been reminded of who He is. And I'm coming back to Him. And I'm not just walking back. I'm running back to Him.
And folks, don't ever think that we're beyond that happening to us. Don't ever become so spiritually prideful that you think, I could never be away from my Lord. I love Him too much. Many, many a believer has said that. We are to walk as children of light. As Christ shall give thee light. We're going to finish with the hymn on page 136. 136. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Hymn number 136.